This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Monday afternoon. Jeff Siegel, old friend, really bird rights is here. Jeff, good evening ish, sir. For me, I don't know. I don't know. It's not evening. When does evening start? I think it's three o'clock is when technically you'll like you you would say good evening to somebody, but um, it doesn't matter at this point because you might be listening to the evening. It's all good. It doesn't matter. It's all pre-taped. What am I doing? I I don't know. I was going to let you just kind of ramble until you uh, until you called me in, but yeah. Uh, good morning to you uh, from my point of view. Mm-hmm. I'm on the west coast. It's eleven eleven in the morning, so. Uh, to me, it's it's still morning. I, I woke up about an hour ago, so I'm not. Uh, hopefully, it's not evening yet because I haven't done anything yet today. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to talk about the Thunder. Um, they locked up my man Dort. One of the best words to say in the NBA. Um, to a two-year deal, they he was on like he was a G League guy, and he's become kind of a, a defensive specialist. Um, there's some offensive upside that I've seen this year that I like, but. Um, First, were you surprised that the Thunder locked up um, Dort uh, when they did? I was a little bit surprised that they signed him uh, when they when it first came out that they were going to because I had had some conversations with people uh, just sort of in and out of the league that were like because you know that sort of centered on the fact that because two way guys are eligible to play in this year's playoffs, there's not as much of a need to sign Dort to any kind of contract because he's available for the playoffs anyway, right? They need him going forward. He's basically, you know, their starting shooting guard right now because of the the way that their roster sort of, you know, played out this year. You know, he started 21 of the, of the 29 games that he played and he was like, he was their starter going into the hiatus. So it was kind of, if, if things had nor- been normal, they would have signed him that last week of the season and mm-hmm. they would have had him eligible for the playoffs this year because He's automatically eligible for the playoffs. There was some question as to whether they would want to take on that extra tax bill for whatever it would cost to uh, to get him because they were already over the tax. Now they're even further over the tax, not by a ton, especially for an Oklahoma City team that has always been willing to pay pay the tax. 
it wasn't a big deal, but it, you know, it's extra money going out for, you know, Lou Dort who, you know, can't hit a three and really is, is sort of a, a negative offensive player. And they didn't need is the to shot broken from what you've seen. It's is it not fixable? broken, broken, but it hasn't gone in yet. And so that, you know, that seems like a problem. Um, you know, he's really much more of a yeah, defense first prospect, but really it, it had all to do with the rules and nothing to do with him. It was like, Hey, he's going to be available. What's the point in signing him? Let him walk into restricted free agency this summer and then, you know, see what you see, what you want to do at that point this summer, quote unquote, it's really going to be like October, but whatever this off season. Um, and instead, once the details came out of what he got, it was like, Oh, okay, well, no wonder they did this. They got, you know, a ridiculously good team friendly deal. You know, he he signed for four years. There's a team option on the end of it. Plus, he, uh, you know, the, the last two years are barely guaranteed. It's only 2.3 million guaranteed total team option on the last year, so they can get him to restricted free agency if they want to. It's, I mean, that's one of the most team friendly contracts we've seen in the last, whatever, five, six, seven years. Um, I just. It's interesting with him, and when you were talking about him moving into the starting spot uh, before the NBA went on hiatus, I thought that was interesting because Terrence Ferguson was there um, for a while, and it just the numbers. If you look at the the stats right now of those five man lineups, like the one uh, the starting lineup with Paul Gallinari, Adams, Ferguson, and Shea uh, had a negative three point five uh, net rating per hundred possessions. Um, it just it wasn't good, and then you look at some of the Dort lineups, and they weren't great. But then, then the all defense Dort lineup is just crazy. So they got sixty eight minutes of this lineup, and it includes my guy Noel. I'm going to ask you about in a second. I'll never quit Nolan's Noel for as long as it li- I live. Um, Paul Gallinari, Noel, Shea, and Dort had a one thirty offensive rating and a ninety four defensive rating, good for thirty six point two. Like that was by far their best lineup, and I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, certainly anything with just sixty-eight minutes is not uh, not, not something I'm I mean, going to put a ton of stock into. Like but that. they have like, I mean, the first lineup I was talking about with Ferguson ate up a bunch of their minutes. Like they're they're not deep, so they actually play a lot of the same guys um, in the same lineups for very long stretches. Um, but the 177 minutes with Paul Gallinari, Schroeder, Adams, and Shea—they're closing five, um, 29.9 net rating, like. That, that that group crushes and Ferguson didn't. So they really haven't found that starter who can um, maximize uh, the other four guys around him because it's probably not Dort. It's not uh, Ferguson. Um, I don't know. Is there anyone else in this roster? Because you can't move Schroeder and the whole point is him coming off the bench. So I, d- I don't know if they have their, their guy there, right? Or is it Andre Robertson when he comes back, if he ever does? Well, it's probably not Andre Robertson just because you know you can't imagine at this point after the, the massive layoff. And it's not like he was lighting the world on fire as an offensive player either. He yeah. and Dort are probably Dort might be a better offensive player, frankly, than Robertson. Robertson had gotten to the point where he wouldn't even shoot threes that were wide open. And he, you know, would just muck up everything. I mean, he was basically like a center who was also small around the basket and couldn't finish. He, he was about as much of a zero offensively as you could be. Uh, you know, at least Dort's got some athleticism and, and can, you know, get out in the open floor a little bit. So, you know, I think that, I mean, for me, it seems like Dort could be, or Ferguson could be sort of this answer at that sort of, uh, you know, guard position next to, you know, next to Shea, next to uh, Chris Paul. So I guess technically playing the small forward, if you want to, you know, subscribe to the sort of general, uh, you know, regular uh, positions, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, 
you know, I think you, you see a lot of teams do this where they start, and this was Robertson's role, this was Tabo Cephalosha's role for a while, uh, this is Dorian Finney-Smith's role in, in Dallas, Torrey Craig a little bit in, in Denver. You see teams want to start more defensive, and then when it comes to closing lineups, you actually play your best guys. That's where Shooter comes in, and they 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 excise Dort and Ferguson from, from the lineup at that point. But you want to start because you know the other team, for the most part, is going to start their best players. So if you want to get an advantage on one side or the other, you might as well, you know, if you if you have a guy like Dort, go defense first at the at the beginning of the game. Just try to hold water until you can get those best lineups out there, you know, at the end of the uh, the first half and the end of the second half. Is that smart strategy? Do you like that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. I think it's it's with a team like Oklahoma City who does not have that bona fide fifth starter. You might as well go go one way or the other, right? Go all in on offense or go all in on defense. And early in the game, it makes more sense to go all in on defense, I think, because it keeps things close, keeps the the game in hand, and you've got Chris Paul on your team who is one of the best closers in the world. He's having a phenomenal year just in in the fourth quarter in clutch time, and they've got this that, that great clutch lineup that you just talked about. So they've got a very specific set of circumstances that make it, so that they're just trying to keep the game close until there's five minutes left, and then Chris Paul takes over, and then usually for them, it goes the right way. Yeah, it's interesting that basketball's kind of migrated that way, um, and just having these specialists off the bench and like certain guys that you would be more comfortable closing. Like If I'm a Dort or a guy like that who I know that, or Dorian Finney-Smith, whoever, and I know my minutes are limited and that I, um, I have to maximize my early time, but your early time is just being a solid lockdown defender it is interesting like the 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 mindset behind that because i don't know if i could do that it's a weird role for a basketball player i think yeah i mean it's it's especially a weird role in today's nba where it's so much more offense focused where getting paid is so much more offense focused i mean you you see the door contract you saw with dorian finney smith got last year like it does not pay to be a defense first perimeter player mm-hmm. like that's just the way it goes like it's you know I, I looked into it last year in terms of the the overall market and defensive talent versus the pay that those guys got last year was just kind of all over the place mm-hmm. whereas offense was very linear it was like if you're very good you got a max contract if you're kind of decent you got 15 million a year it just sort of linearly went down from there whereas defense nobody pays for defense nobody has any real idea defense is almost like this ancillary thing that's just kind of like oh well if you can play defense that's great too but you know what your offense does is what dictates how much you get paid we saw that again with dort taking this you know ridiculously team-friendly contract because he's a defense first guy and we're not sure about where the offense is going to go and you know that's unfortunately because defense should be half of the game even though really it's not there you know in terms of getting paid it's really basically nothing so when you look at the cap now um, as the Jason was podcast cap guy, um, Jeff, I've just, I've given you that seal of approval. Um, how is the thunder cap looking? What are we, because they're creepy, like into this, this zone where they actually have spent a bunch of money and they have a lot of people locked down and like the, the Chris Paul contract is obviously huge. Gallinari. We'll see what happens. Um, Steven Adams got paid. Like what is their cap situation? Is it something that worries you? Is it weird? What, what do you think? 
it certainly doesn't worry me mostly because they've always been willing to spend. They've been willing mm-hmm. to spend for the last several years. They were willing to spend this year. And then of course things kind of went off the rails when, uh, when Westbrook and George, George, you know, asked out to the Clippers and then Westbrook, they moved him to Oklahoma city or to, to Houston. They got Pat Chris Paul, like things changed very quickly for them from the beginning of last summer, from like July 1st to, you know, July 8th, they were very, very different in those, in those seven days. And so, you know, I, it seems like they were very willing to spend big on last year's team and then they didn't have to. And so now it's kind of like, well, even if they have a small tax bill this year of, you know, I'm looking at about a $2.4 million tax bill based on their current roster, that's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things because they were prepared to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on this team and, you know, having to spend, you know, an extra few million dollars to get Lou Dort locked in to get some of these, uh, you know, extra guys locked in on, on longer term deals. It's not, I don't think it's as big a deal. Certainly going forward, Gallinari expires this year. Robertson finally comes off the books this year. They're going to be fine going into to this, this off season. They're, you know, for me, as I have them right now, they're 31 million from the tax. That tax line is still at 139. The, uh, the, the sort of feeling around the league is that that tax line is going to come down to about 132 million, the same as it was this year, 132.6. That's probably what we're going to see. But mm-hmm. even then they're still going to have a lot of room under the tax to either re-sign Gallinari or, you know, sign and trade him elsewhere and get something back for him or, you know, sign somebody with the non-taxpayer mid-level. They're going to have enough wiggle room this offseason to not have to pay the tax next year and just sort of keep it rolling. So what do you think is their biggest short-term question with their cap? What would you like to see them do and make decisions on so that you have a better read of where they're headed? I think Gallinari is going to show us where they're headed. You know, are they pivoting toward the, this Shea Gilgis Alexander Alexander future? Is he going to be their, their center point going forward, like immediately, like starting next year, basically? Or is it going to be, hey, we're going to bring back Gallinari on a monster deal not maybe not monster in terms of years, but like instead of, you know, he made 22 six this year, they can bring him back for like two years, 50 million line him up with with, when Chris Paul is, is going to expire at the end of the 2022 season and just kind of try to push with this, with this group and then pivot to Shea in 2022. You know, they'll have a couple of extra draft picks at that point. They could sort of start to rebuild around Shea and kind of move in that direction at that point. So what they do with Gallinari this summer, what Gallinari wants to do, of course, he's unrestricted. He could just walk if he wants to. If they decide, hey, we're going to over like kind of overpay for Gallinari to bring him back to, you know, sort of run this same team back again that was so good this year. Let's try this again, see where we are at the end of the 21 season, then, you know, see 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 when they want to move on to Shea. But they can they really have the flexibility to do kind of whatever they want in that sense, especially with the way that ownership has been willing to spend. But even if they don't want to spend to the tax or through the tax, they can still spend up to the tax to keep Gallinari and sort of reinforce their team elsewhere as well. And then you wonder if Gallinari wants to stay there anyway. Like he's in sure. a role there and some of that's just out of their hands because um, they didn't move him and they kept him. And it was interesting because he was just a really interesting trade chip. And we really don't know what his value around the league was at the time, but um, I think it's also interesting. Uh, this is an interesting wrinkle when it comes to Chris Paul being the NBA PA president. He's, I, I don't think he's going to sign on Clay Bennett um, doing a teardown. Like part of the, the trades that they did 
um, and obviously the mega one with Los Angeles for Paul George. I think they're going to keep trying to go through the middle and develop their guys, develop Shea, develop their young people, um, and then keep con- pseudo contention. They're going to be like the Pittsburgh Pirates of the NBA for a couple years, I think, um, where you have these veterans who are really good, but obviously it's just not enough to win it all. But they're putting themselves in a position where, like, if they want, if another superstar gets angry, if another superstar is just like going to ask out, because that is going to continue happening. That is something that will always happen. It's happening more and more. Like some young star that we're not thinking about right now is going to ask out, and the Thunder have this war chest of draft picks where they um, they have the Miami pick in 2021, they have their own pick in 2021, they have the Denver pick in 2020, but it's top ten protected. They have their own pick in 2020. Um, I think it goes to the Sixers if it um, falls out of the 20th. Um, they have the Clippers pick in 2022. They have their own pick in 23. They have the right to swap the Clippers if they're bad. Um, the Hawks get their pick in 2022 if it falls below the 10th. Like, they're loaded. And they also have a good culture. They have veterans who know how to win. They have young guys who you would want to play with. Like, I think if you're a budding superstar, you want to play with Shea Gilgis Alexander. You want to play with Luke Dort. You want to play with these guys on this roster right now because you have this nice balance of veterans and young guys with upside and um, the Thunder in a position where if the right deal comes available that they could s- slide in a superstar wing and then they're a contender like with the guys they have around them. It's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly one sort of star wing you're probably a small forward but if it has to be a shooting guard that's fine too like they're one star wing from being instead of like the six seed now we're pushing into like the two or three seed and and then then they're really you know thinking about uh, about real title contention with this with this group and it's not a group it's not something that you would have thought you know right after they made the the Chris Paul trade, but uh, you know, Paul's been great. He's been, you know, just unbelievable for them. And if he continues to stay healthy and stay, you know, uh, at that level, they can, they can certainly be a contender next year. We saw how they sort of snuck in on the Paul George sweepstakes when he was leaving Indiana, he asked out, he made it very clear, like, Hey, I want to go to the Lakers. I want to go to Los Angeles. That's where I'm from. Oklahoma city took this, the risk on him. Anyway, they traded for him. They, you know, had a couple of sort of middling years after that because they, they couldn't get out of the first round, I don't think, with him. But they went for it. They got him. They were able to to make that trade because they had sort of at that point they had young assets in in Oladipo and Sabonis to to trade for him. They've got another sort of war chest of of assets, both young players and and massive amount of draft picks going forward to to trade for the next guy who gets unhappy. If that's Bradley Beal, I know, you know Beal might not be the the best fit for them, but it yeah, might be Bradley Beal. Beal. You know, it could be any number of of guys who sort of get unhappy in their current situation. Beal is sort of the one guy who comes to mind just because you know he's been in the news about that uh, over the last six months or so. But like that's the the position that they're in right now. So you know, even if they they could re-sign Gallinari and sort of run it back to try to get to the the five six seed next year. But they're also putting themselves in position to where they're one player away from the two seed. Whereas if they let Gallinari go and sort of pivot toward the future, then it doesn't make as much sense to sort of try to to trade for that superstar. Do you know which current superstar um, had high praise for Shea Gilgis Alexander a couple years ago? Uh, probably Bradley Beal. But now you're no. going to tell me it probably wasn't him. It was not Bradley Beal. 
But I don't see Bradley Beal being happy. Uh, then again, he's from St. Louis, I think. So maybe he's okay yeah, he going is. back to the Midwest. I don't know. Um, Devin Booker. Oh, well, that would not be a good... That wouldn't be a good move for either team. I don't want... Interesting. See, I think yeah. they had the defensive upside where, like, no, that's the perfect place for Devin Booker. What is the case against Devin Booker with Steven Adams, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Chris Paul? What is the... What is the, I mean, I wouldn't want to take the ball out of out of out of Chris Paul's hands as much mm. as it would need to to go to Booker. Plus, Shea would just you know Shea should be that secondary guy, you know, not not Booker. Okay. Unless you're, I mean, I can see why it would work. You know, certainly you could get uh, you you could get Booker moving off the ball a little bit, yes. but like it's it's for the most part, unless Booker like absolutely won't like won't even take the floor for Phoenix anymore. Phoenix isn't even going to consider that. Like he's there their their star player like they're not going to it's not even like a a bradley beal situation i mean he's he's under contract for at least the next two years maybe even three let me look it up really quick um booker is under contract for the next four years after this one this was Mm. the first year of his contract so this is not a situation where even if he asked out He's not in a situation where he can really force their hand into anything. Never say never with Phoenix. If we've learned one thing, never say never. I guess, but man, Booker is there everything. I mean, he's there, their sun and stars. You know, it, it's there's no, I don't think that there's any way that they decide to, to move on from him. Remember when they could have just drafted Luka Doncic? Well, sure, but people that, forget. Uh, people forget. That would, uh, <clears throat> that, that, that goes for, for three different teams, doesn't it? We're not talking about that uh, on this podcast anymore, Jeff. I can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I, I can't. It just, it hurts Fair me too much. It, it hurts me. And then getting tweets of like, I'd rather have trade. It's like, okay, you're out of your mind. Um, I do want to know though from you, because I've spent way too much time. This is the one Hawks thing that we're going to talk about. And it has to do with the Thunder and kind of the Kings. A lot of stuff with Harry Giles. It seems like he's not in their long-term plans. He's out. I like Harry Giles a lot as a guy who can play 18 minutes as a, uh, a, a five who can pick and pop, do the Dwayne Dedman stuff. That I, mi- I miss Dwayne Dedman, and I was glad he was back. And um, I, I do not miss Alex Lynn playing basketball for the for the Hawks. Do you think somebody like Nerlens Noel though would make a lot of sense for the Hawks with the money that they have? Like, would you look at Nerlens Noel as your starting five for a couple of years? Uh, no, okay. I would not because not Clint Capella is already there. Yeah, but he's getting 36 I mean, minutes and then you have no, Noel come in for a couple. He can play the four and the five for a little bit. I guess, but you have, I mean, you've got Deadman who is going to play all the minutes that Capella doesn't play. You've True. got Bruno Fernando who they sort of invested like in. I don't know. I don't, I, I like him long-term better than Nerlens Noel who we sort of know mm-hmm. what he is. You know, he's not better right now, of course. Bruno is not, you know, better than Noel right now. But in a third center role, as a guy you can sort of develop for the future, that makes – he makes more sense for, for that than, than Noel would, I think. Um, knowing that, like, how, you know, if Noel would sign with the Hawks, are they going to overpay him to be that third center? Or are they going to, you know – under, or, or, or is he going to sign up to be their third center when he's been a backup on a better team? I, I would think that he would want a bigger role than just being the third center behind Deadman. You know, and I, I would say that Deadman is better both in a vacuum and I would agree with that. For, you know, specifically for this Hawks team that needs a little bit more spacing at the five. So, you know, I don't think 
I don't really think that Noel would would make a ton of sense for the Hawks. Where are you at with the NBA return? What is your your current major thought um, with the Disney World bubble? Everything that everything about my thoughts can be summed up with the the shrug emoji. Like I don't know it if it works, that would be great. I am very. I'm not even skeptical because I don't know enough about what's going on to be skeptical. I don't think anybody knows enough about what's going on and what might happen in Orlando to be on one side or the other. Like it, it may work there. They've gotten some very high profile praise from, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is, you know, working with the white house a little bit less than he should, but whatever, that's all another thing. Um, you know, they've gotten some praise from these, you know, very smart doctors and epidemiologists who say, like, yeah, this is about as good as you can get. But of course, you know, there was the Bontemps story this morning. I think it was, who was it? Was it Bontemps? It was somebody this morning who said that, who, who was talking about the Disney workers and the people who were going to come in and out who work for Disney don't work for the NBA. What is that going to look like as they sort of come in and out of this bubble, quote unquote, when it's not really a bubble if people are coming in and out? So that's the, that's, I think, the biggest sort of point of worry there. Of course, Florida in general is a big point of worry just because of everything that's going on down there. So, I mean, there are some, some, you know, very strong positives in terms of how they're going to, you know, contact trace with the, the little amulets, I guess, that guys are going to wear on their credentials. Not all the players are going to have to do that. But, you know, everybody else is going to. The The big thing is, is how are they going to navigate the Disney workers coming in and out of the property? Are they going to pay them massive amounts of overtime to stay on the property? Or are they going to let them come in and out and test them heavily? Or are they not going to test them heavily at all and just sort of wing it and hope it works out? That seems like a bad idea, but it, it might be where we're headed. I think something that um, this was something I was tossing around this weekend, but something that I think really is going to help the NBA's return versus other sports. Um, the MLS, um, we don't know enough. I think the MLS is actually going to have like, the best, most enjoyable tournament. They're doing the World Cup format, which I just think is going to be really cool just to see the different groups and all the teams playing and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be it's gonna be fun. Um, but MLB is just going to stadiums. Like They're, they're going to be playing in stadiums. The NFL capacity like they're gonna have fans like the mlb will have limited amount of people but they're they're not going into a bubble they're not doing the kind of stuff that the nba is doing like i think the nba will be looked back at as the most thoughtful best return to play plan which helps i think a lot right like i think we have to factor that in is that the nba has done i think more than the other leagues to ensure player safety and i i don't know like i think we're gonna see um the NBA looked back on it like it doesn't work it's not working for anybody else like if it doesn't work in the NBA bubble like I don't think it's working across all major sports because I do think the NBA has the best return to play plan even if it's not perfect they have the most involved return to play plan of course and that's that can be good or that can be bad right like if this if this thing comes into the bubble and it is much more sort of if it's if it's if it spreads more quickly than even it does in the normal circumstances you could see three quarters of the league get this thing all at once and within a week three quarters of the league has this thing and and you know five to ten percent of those people have to go to the hospital like you could see because everybody the entire you know almost the entire league obviously not literally the entire league but all of these 22 teams are going to be in one spot together if it spreads, it's going to spread like wildfire. 
Whereas in baseball, especially the way that baseball is set up, where they're not playing a different team every other day, they're playing three games, you know, San Diego goes to Atlanta, plays three games, and then they go to Cincinnati or whatever. I don't know. Whatever. You know, they play these three-game series where the teams aren't interacting with each other as much. Plus, of course, the game is outside. There's not as much contact between the players, of course. There's, you know, that that whole thing in terms of baseball being a, a just safer sport in terms of spreading this thing. That That's part of this as well. But the idea that those guys are going to travel around and come in contact with fewer people per day or per week than NBA players will because they're going to be confined into this, this bubble and they're going to be playing every other day against a different group of guys with different referees, different coaches. There's going to be so much sort of cross-pollination. If one guy gets sick, that's why they had to shut it down at the, the very beginning. You know, when, when Gobert tested positive, they had to shut that down because these guys come in contact with each other so often and so many different times over the course of the week that you just end up with so many people with, with the potential to have this thing. That's so, you know, I think in the bubble, they're doing the best that they can to minimize the, the chance that it'll get into the bubble. But if it gets in, it's going to just spread like wildfire. It could. And if it does, then the bubble concept is going to be like, Oh man, like we would have been better off traveling around like MLB is doing because at least in that sense, you wouldn't have everybody in the same spot. That's fair. I'm my biggest concern is actually not with the players. Um, cause I think the players who have illnesses or preconsisting conditions, or they have families that they like the, the Trevor Reese stuff, like they're those kind of uh, Avery Bradley. Like, I don't think that is my biggest concern. My biggest concern is the Mike D'Antoni's the Greg Popovich's like, I am more concerned about how the NBA is going to do that. And they're going to do their damn best to keep them safe. And Dan Tony wants to go back by all accounts. But that I think is what shuts everything down is if one of the coaches, one of the older coaches gets it and is hospitalized like that. Cause then how do you even play at that point? If your team, like you can put in um, your assistant, Becky Hammond can coach the Spurs for a couple of weeks. But like, I don't think the players are going to feel comfortable playing knowing their coaches like in, in the hospital fighting Corona. Like I, that is my biggest concern. Cause I, I, I don't know. I mean, is that fair to just wonder like how you can really, really be sure you can protect these older. Cause like the MLB has already announced certain coaches aren't coming back. Like I think it was two twins coaches have already been revealed that they're not um, playing this season or they're not going to be on the bench. Um, and I think they're both 60 up. Like the fact that the NBA is allowing these older coaches to even come is very concerning to me. That is, I, I don't know. That's when it gets dicey. Yeah. I mean, that's a concern. Anybody who, you know, all of the assistant coaches that nobody knows, like some of those guys are older, yeah. the shooting coaches, some of those guys are older. You know, I, I'm, 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 you're more concerned for Popovich and D'Antoni and all of these older coaches on the bench and, and, and the shooting coaches as well. Because they are sort of at wasn't this. He? Coach Georgetown now? Like, I think he was a couple months back with COVID. I yeah, I believe wrong, so. Yeah. Um, you know, and you, you get your concern for these people because the risk, their downside risk is so much worse because, yes. because they're older. Yes. You know, and I, I think if, if you're looking at it from the league's perspective, a coach going down probably doesn't, you know, end your, your season. You know, I, I don't think, and, and just like a player going, a single player going down probably doesn't end your season either. But you know, you just 
having one guy get it is going to, you know, spread it around the, the league like wildfire. And I just think that's the biggest concern from what the league can control is trying to keep it out of the bubble as much as possible for the players, for the coaches, for everybody, because, you know, once it gets in and it sort of just, you know, spreads throughout the, as many people as it can, it's going to just, it's going to really wreak havoc on, on the, this restart. I also just, I don't believe they're going to be able to keep it out of the bubble. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems like they're already prepared for a certain number of, of right. positive like, tests. I think that's what's going like to they, happen is people need to break. They've already had a bunch of tests it. that are, they've had a bunch of tests that are positive already. They're, they've basically said like, there's a number of tests. We're not going to commit to a single number, but there is a percentage of the league that we just sort of expect to get this thing. Right. And it's going to, we're just going to kind of roll with it. And it's like, that's cool. And I'm glad that everybody's on board with this except for the people who opted out, which is totally fine. And I'm, I'm happy for those people who are willing to sort of stand up for themselves and be like, Hey, I'm out of this thing. Um, you know, but what if the first person who gets it is like hospitalized? Like, yeah. I don't, you know, it's just, I, I would, I'm, I'm worried about not just if it's D'Antoni and he gets hospitalized, but like, what if, you know, whoever a player gets it and, is hospitalized on day two. They have to go back and figure out, oh my God, who is this player come in contact with? All of a sudden you get three of his teammates are in bad shape. Like there's just, there's so much downside risk to this thing that the upside has to be, of course, billions of dollars, which it literally is in this case. So, you know, I understand why they're doing it. I understand why they think that they can get, get through this thing without having something catastrophic happen. But if something catastrophic does happen, you're putting the entire 2021 season at risk. You're putting the lead, the, the the reputation of the league at risk. Like it's there's a huge, huge downside that is to me is bigger than two billion dollars. But of course, two billion dollars is a lot of money, and I'm not in. I've never been in any position to make a decision over two billion dollars. So I understand why they're doing it, but boy, the the risk is huge. All that being said. With Avery Bradley not being uh, the point of attack on defense for the Lakers this playoff run, um, and they're, by all accounts, seeming they're going to sign J.R. Smith, does that significantly hinder their chances of winning winning the title this summer? Or is it just like, ah, this kind of sucks, but they'll be fine with or without him? I mean, it's. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I don't think it, it hinders them in a way that takes them out of that top group, but it makes them slightly worse. It's 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 not... I mean, it's, it's certainly not just like, hey, we're just going to move on next guy up. I mean, Caruso, Alex Caruso may be that next guy up. And all he needs is that opportunity to be like, hey, Avery's out. You're our starting shooting guard right now, but you're going to defend at the point of attack. And we're just going to let you let you roll in that position. And maybe that works. Like there are a lot of people who think that Caruso can handle that. And, and I'm one of them. I think that he's he's not Avery Bradley because he doesn't have that long-term reputation, but he may be, because defense is so hard to evaluate, he may be just as good or or 90% as good as Avery Bradley in that same position. So you could see it just sort of rolling next guy up and everything is totally fine. You know, the fact that Caruso would have to step into a larger role means somebody would have to step into his role. Who is that? Is that JR? Is that, you know, Rajon Rondo? Who, what, what, how does that work? That's going to, you know, Dion Waiters, of course, is still on this team. There are... There, there are questions down the line, but if Caruso can step up and be Avery Bradley for, you know, 
a few stretches a game, that's going to be super important for them. Yep. If he can't, then they're going to suffer a little bit, but it's not going to take them out of title contention, right? They're still one of the either three or five teams that can really win the title, depending on how much you like Boston and Toronto. But it's really the two LA teams in Milwaukee. I mean, if you if you really like those 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 are sort of the big five in terms of teams with a real chance to win this, mm. the the whole thing. Houston, maybe if you I can really Houston see everything Toronto. breaking right for them, but I don't really yeah. see it that way. Those are the big five. Really, it's just a big three still with the two LA teams in Milwaukee. Those are the teams that matter. With Avery Bradley out, the Lakers are not are still in that top group. So it affects them. Bradley it may affect them, the but it's Clippers it's not going to be a huge deal. Do you remember who they put him on? Bradley in yeah, the first game, guarding most in the Clippers games this season during their meetings. Uh, I don't know. I'd have yeah. to go back and look, but I would assume it was, I mean, it may even have been, uh, it was probably Patrick Beverly, if okay. I had to guess, because you would think that Danny Green would call, would guard Paul George right. and they would put LeBron on Kawhi, but yeah. I know they didn't put LeBron on Kawhi specifically in that game. So it, I think it was Danny Green on Kawhi uh, a little bit, which would have left Avery Bradley for, uh, for for Paul George and and then LeBron was sort of helping everywhere off of whoever they were starting at the four of that game. So you know I think that's probably LeBron how they lined up, but I'd have to go names? back and look. Do you think they want that? Probably not. LeBron's right. one of the better help defenders in the exactly. world. They'd rather let him play off the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's where Danny Green comes in, and that's you know Green's not huge and he's not big enough really to handle that. But you know that's where he comes in. That's where. You know, you could even see that's where like Markeith Morris comes in mm. and and plays, you know, whatever spot minutes. But all of his spot minutes are matched up with Kawhi Leonard, and he's just trying to be as physical as possible and and get Kawhi out of his game. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, that was something I was thinking about too. It's like if Bradley doesn't go, it doesn't matter. I think they'll be fine. They'll figure it out. If Danny Green didn't go, I don't know how they still win the title. Which is crazy to say out loud, but like I don't think they have anybody on that roster that can do what Green does and help LeBron and AD in different ways. Where I'm like, if Green were to get hurt or not go, I I would actually cross them off. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't totally cross them off because they still have two of the top right. six or seven players in the world, and and one of them is LeBron James. But mm-hmm. like, the, you know, you would you would hesitate to really put them in that group with with the the Clippers and the Bucks because. Like Danny Green's their third best player. Like he is their third best player. He's their third most important player. He's their guy who can hit shots and defend and and do both at a very high level. And it's like that would be that would be a much sort of more difficult thing for them to overcome than Avery Bradley. Yeah, I um I'm interested to see what it looks like. Um, last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here today, uh, the state of the Magic. Um, I. I'm interested in your thoughts on this team because they are uh, entering a a weird zone right now where they, they've um, not had lottery luck. They have taken some swings on some failed prospects like Markel Fultz, and there have been player development coaches that have um, worked with them specifically who are getting interviews at other jobs and like Pat Blaney, and they have all these different names, and it seems like they are building something with Hammond and uh, Weltman that could be interesting down the line, but... How much time does Clifford get um, in Orlando is interesting. Um, they haven't figured out their backcourt. Like, the backcourt is just like an open campus. They have nobody that makes sense in their long-term plans there. Augustine, Fournier. Um, it just it, 
you can do whatever. Like you can make shift and start all over because they have so many wings and they have so many bigs and you can see they're trying to do the Milwaukee stuff, but they don't have a Giannis. They don't have a Chris Middleton. Um, they're building the wrong way. In my opinion, <laughs> they, uh, they have all these bigs and then they just have no, no guard depth at all. And in today's NBA, just, I, I think that's the opposite of what you do. Um, you go out and in. Um, but I, uh, I want to know. Like, so Mo Bamba looks like a, a miss. Aaron Gordon um, still on this roster. Kind of weird. Jonathan Isaac is their most tantalizing, interesting long-term guy. Um, I still like Jonathan Isaac a lot. I'm curious. It just depends on his offense and his dribbling. And can he be a point forward? I don't know. Um, what do you make of the Orlando Magic right now? I'm, I mean, there was a whole lot that you, you just talked about there. I think Bamba, I'm not as sort of out on him as as it seems you might be. Like, I don't think, I mean, they might not get like absolute top end value out of him, but like, he's, he's fine. Like he's coming along. He's a little bit, you know, he, he didn't exactly light the world on fire as a rookie, but he was better this year. He's slowly sort of getting used to playing NBA basketball and being able to sort of read what's going on as a, as a center and, and just sort of understanding the, the, the way that the game works. And so I think, you know, I wouldn't be necessarily totally out on him. I think he can be their backup center during the, the last few years of Vucevic's contract and just sort of, and then transition and decide, you know, is he going to be their guy going forward or do they need to look elsewhere and he's going to continue to be the backup? I think that's totally fine. I'm not, I'm not out on him as it seems perhaps some people are, you know, I think he can be a perfectly serviceable backup for now. And I then they I'm can see of, how he develops. I guess I'm out on him as a star. Like, I don't think that's a, that's a possibility with the way he plays and the way the game has gone. I don't think that's a possibility. Probably not. I would say that he's, I mean, he still has so much raw talent that you could see it happening. Like it's a, it's still there because the, the, the sort of talent and physicality is, is still there. I mean, it's still, in him somewhere it's just about bringing that out and that's going to be difficult for them or for anybody it may not be even be possible but like the the upside is still technically there but it's certainly less likely than it was two years ago when he got drafted that said i mean he can be you can still sort of develop him into a backup center who can do you know come in for whatever 20 minutes a game and and you know protect the rim and and try to build that way and i don't think that that's necessarily you know the worst thing in the world even for the you know the number five pick like it's totally fine for the number five pick to end up as sort of a middling backup slash starter like it's not great it's you would rather that not happen but like there's there's a lot of risk in the draft and the draft does not work out for the vast majority of of picks and so you know to get a, a guy who has that level of massive upside even if it's harder to get to than for a lot of guys that i think that's still a relatively fine pick like i think if you redid the 2018 draft right now mm. he probably doesn't fall past like seven or eight in terms of just mm. in a vacuum where these guys might go in the next you know 10 years you know i think he's he's still somebody who has a lot of upside who is viewed very highly around the league if they wanted to move on from him i think they could get something you know relatively strong for him so you know i think that there's there's still some potential there for, for Bamba, you know, is in terms of how they fell out their backcourt depth, you know, they're going to have a, a middling first round pick, a middling second round pick again this year. There are a lot of guards this year that they can sort of pick from. So, you know, that might be a, a place where they decide to really shore up the, the backcourt issues with 
two guards at 15 and 45, if that's where they end up picking. So that would be an option. They could, they're also going to get Chuma Okiki from last year. He was, he was drafted last year, took the, uh, took the year off to rehab the ACL and is going to come in as a rookie this year. That's going to be great for them in terms of having a, a true small forward. I know Aaron Gordon was kind of masquerading as a small forward, but you know, Okiki can be in today's NBA. He's, he's just not. Yeah, he's, he's probably more of a four, just like uh, Jonathan Isaac is. And they've got a lot of guys, like you said, just a lot of bigs who, you know, mostly are fours and fives. So having Okiki come in and be the three would be great for them. They can b- fill out their backcourt depth. I mean, Fultz had a, had a pretty solid year. They've got Terrence Ross and, and, and Yvonne Fournier if they want to bring back Fournier this summer or if he opts in and they want to you know run it back with him for, for one more year. I don't necessarily think they don't have a ton of movement on their team. They've got Okiki coming in. They've got a couple of draft picks. They've got Fournier maybe in or maybe out. They've got to address the backup point guard at some point with Augustin either walking or, or they can bring him back to play backup point guard. But they don't, they're not going to look, to me, that much different you know, from this year to, to next year. And we've seen that this team, constructed the way it is with Steve Clifford as the coach, is going to be somewhere in that 7-8-9 range. And that's, that's what they're going for. That's what the Magic are sort of trying to do right now is – be a consistent playoff team, try to just sort of get into that, that playoff push, put, you know, put butts in the seats, makes, you know, make some money, make the playoffs. And that's, that's kind of their goal. It's not to, they're not trying to tear it all the way down and try to build up to win a championship. I think they seem perfectly content with being sort of a mid table team and trying to just, you know, make the playoffs every year. Yeah, and I think they just have their fingers crossed about some lottery luck or some late first-round luck. I mean, you can it's hard to find, obviously, uh, the understatement of the year. It's hard to find Kawhi Leonard uh, late in the first round. Um, you can find, I mean, where Giannis was picked. Like, they're going to have to keep taking swings at the Markels of the world. Like, they're going to have to keep building and keep trying to get in the playoffs and get the playoff revenue and all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know. I It's a possibility. Like, they're gambling pretty high on... Uh, their development team and what they can do. But is there, is there a way or like, what is the path that Jonathan Isaac becoming a top 10 NBA player? Is there a path for him still to get to that point? To be a top 10 NBA player? Yes. Is there a path with that much open space where he can really develop and it could be his team? Is there a path that they really handed him the keys? Is there another? No. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think there's enough offensive talent at all. I mean, he would, the way he gets to be a top 10 player is if he is the defensive player of the year. Yes. Which I think that's a possibility. That's certainly a possibility. That's maybe even a probability based on the way he can defend. He would have to be that level of defender for like a multi-year stretch so that people really sort of understand and they get it through their heads. Like he's one of the best defenders in the world. And I think he's getting there, but like, he'd have to have a couple more years of, of solid play there. He'd have to be not injured, which has been a, an issue was an issue for him this year was an issue for him his rookie year. So that would be a, a part of it as well. But offensively there's, I don't think that there's enough there for him to ever get to that level. Mm. Um, unless the three point shot like comes around in a massive way. I mean, not just in terms of percentage, but in terms of volume, he'd have to be like the best three and D guy in the league. And then you're put, you're sort of 
knocking on the door of a top 10 player? Maybe, but like we're talking about, we're talking about 40% on eight, eight, you know, eight threes a game. Like we're talking about stuff that there's no precedent for him to be, to be getting there as somebody who has shot, you know, three threes a game and hit 30, you know, 33% of them. If he's going to make, if he's going to make a leap to be, you know, an elite three point shooter and an elite defender, but doesn't really have a ton of ball skills. Maybe that's, you know, where you're, you're looking for a top 10 player, but I don't think there's almost any, any situation where he's even a top 25, 30 ish player. Well, that's a problem because that's their only guy who has even a a chance of sniffing at that, uh, that position, um, in the next couple of years, like that. Yeah. But like, is how much of a problem really is that for a team that's not pushing for a, for a title run anyway, really, because of the, the way that their sort of goals are set up the way that they're, you know, their, their entire operation seems to be set up in a way that like is all about just competing for a playoff spot, making the playoffs, trying to win a game or two in the first round, maybe even getting through the first round if they have a really good year, but like they're they don't need, obviously it would be great to have a top 10 player and they're going to try to do that through the draft and, and maybe, you know, through perhaps Isaac or Bamba, if he really turns around, like there are some, you know, Markel Fultz recaptures somehow some of his magic. And all of a sudden he gets into that conversation. Like they've got, they don't necessarily need somebody to break out and be a top 10 player to achieve the goals that they have for this team. So I don't think it's necessarily a problem that Isaac can't get there or some of their other guys aren't going to get there either. Hmm. So if you're a magic fan, what are you excited about? Like, what about this team really excites you? Like what trade options excite to you? Like what, what is the most interesting thing about this team in the next two to three years? Like give me the case for believing the magic and making them interesting as a basketball team for the next couple of years. If you're a fan. I think if you're a fan of the magic, then you are looking toward some of those, the, the you're, you're looking for Isaac to be just a, a terrifying defensive player. And just, he's going to be the, the kryptonite or, you know, that you would hope that he could be sort of this, this kryptonite ish player for LeBron when he comes to town and Kawhi, when he comes to town and he really can, lock up some of these guys because he's that sort of player defensively where he's just he can do everything defensively and he's that's you can be excited about watching Jonathan Isaac play defense without necessarily looking at the bigger picture of like oh my god is he a top 10 player where is my team going like like just enjoy what you've got right you can look at Jonathan Isaac and be like oh my god look at how great this guy is defensively you can look at Aaron Gordon and be like this guy was in the dunk contest and is an, an unbelievable athlete, but also like can handle the ball and can do some fun stuff and all, you know, anything they get from Markel Fultz is like money found under a rock because he was basically a, a nothing player when he got there from, from Philadelphia. So anything he does is exciting because it's like, he's got so much untapped potential, but he's got so few expectations that anything he does is going to exceed expectations. So, you know, you've got that, you've got a great coach in Steve Clifford, like an unbelievable coach in terms of getting guys to defend, getting a, a real system in place. You saw that this year in terms of the, the way they played. So, I mean, those are the things that would excite me if I were them. Of course, they're going to have a couple of rookies this year. They're going to have at least, I mean, they're probably going to have at least two, maybe a third. They've got Okiki coming in who, 
pre-ACL maybe would have been a top 10 pick last year, but he fell because of the ACL. And now he's coming in. Hopefully he'll be fully healthy. He gives them some, some interesting stuff on the wing as a three and D prospect, maybe even a little bit more than that. So, I mean, I think, you know, sort of as a, as a sort of a hoops nerd, like there's a lot to like about the magic. I don't think that if your expectations are, we're going to go win a title. My team is, is just up there with the box. It's like, all right, well now you're just sort of, that's a little bit ridiculous. But if you're, if you just want to enjoy on a game to game basis, that your team is going to be competitive, the magic are perfect. Hmm. I like that. That's a good sell. Um, can we pencil in Isaac Okoro uh, for the 15th spot for them in the draft? <laughs> I mean, do they really need another guy just like Okoro? I mean, that seems a little bit excessive no, in terms of doing it. You got to keep adding him in just, and then just have Terrence Ross be the only one who shoots on the team. Him and Booch. That's it. Just, you know, you go Terrence Ross at, yeah. the, at, at the point guard and just be like, hey, you get the ball in your hands. You're going to shoot 30 times a game. Right. Feed Vooch for the other 30 and everybody else is going to play defense. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's possible, but I would certainly be looking for a guard in, in that first round if I were them. You know, Grant Riller, Theo Maladon, Aaron Neesmith, if they want to go with a, a shooter, like those would be the guys that I'd be looking for at number 15 for them. Okay. Anthony Edwards would be really good for them. Unfortunately, they're not yeah. I mean, they're not going to be in that. That's sweepstakes for that team, though. Like, yeah, the questions maybe. you have about him as a like a defender and like his shooting stuff, like none of that matters in Orlando. That he's already immediately the best guard they have. Immediately. Like, yeah, but is that good for him or is that not so good for him? Uh, right. Like, I, if it, you're, I, I look at Malik Monk. We're like, if he did not get, maybe he's uh, like other stuff, but like guys like that where if they were given the keys early, like Trey got like no training wheels. Trey was just like, go do Trey Young stuff immediately. Yeah, um, but Trey Young is much, much, much better than Anthony Edwards. But I think for young guards, you have to just hand in the keys. Like Steph had to turn the ball over nine times a game to become Steph Curry. Like you have to, I, I really believe in guards just letting them fail for the first couple of years, playing them 36 minutes, develop, like show their bad habits, teach them to not have those bad habits, but also like, Steve Clare, I think, would actually be a really good coach for Edwards. And, like, I think he'd be a better defender playing with these guys and playing with Isaac and playing with the how long that group is. Like, he would turn into a better defender because he has the potential. Um, but then, like, you just – you have arguably the most interesting young Orlando Magic player in, like, 20 years. I mean, probably since Dwight in, yeah. in 2004. I mean, as a wing, like yeah. a guard. Like, someone who scores. Like, Dwight's cool, but, like, you were still – yeah. You were still playing with Turkaloo, uh, Courtney Lee, and uh, Jameer Nelson, and Ray Ferrell. I mean, they made the finals with that team, so right, like, for sure. And I'm not saying that wasn't like that was a really, really great team, but I'm saying that like for a young, interesting guy like a Hardaway or McGrady, like it's just more fun, I think, to have the scoring guard or wing who can average thirty. Yeah, it's. I would worry that giving the keys to Anthony Edwards would almost stymie his development in some way because mm. he would just be like, hey. I'm going to do whatever I did at Georgia. And like what he did at Georgia was like not terribly effective, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not like you're giving the keys to Trey young, who was awesome at Oklahoma or Steph Curry, who was awesome at Davidson. Like you're looking at Anthony Edwards. If you're drafting him, you're looking to mold him away from the things that he did at Georgia. Not just like, Hey, what you did at Georgia, go do that in the NBA. And we're going to figure it out as we, as we go, you almost want to break him down and then rebuild him in a way that, makes a little bit more sense for the modern NBA, makes a little bit more sense for his his skill set and what you need from him. That's a really good point. I like that. 
Um, all right, Jeff. Well, is there anything we should check out from you at earlybirdrights.com this week? Uh, you can just come come to the site for you know stat stuff is up as up and running. We just launched new roles and positions for every every player. We've got eight different roles and seven different positions, and I realize that's a little weird because there's only five guys on the floor at any one time. But it makes sense if you go look at that on uh, on early bird rights. There are the the cap sheets are still coming out every you know every 15 minutes if something happens, and every few days if something isn't happening. So as the team sort of overhaul their rosters going into this restart we've got all of that stuff up there as well um you know articles are coming out as as needed basically and so you know that's kind of uh, what's going on until the restart all right give me your favorite salary cap thing that you found in the last week and then we're we're good uh i mean the the lou dort thing still just shocks me i'm still looking at that dort i mean we you know we could have a whole conversation about how that dort contract looks in terms of looking toward the rest of this offseason and looking toward the future of like is this if Lou Dort can only get 2.3 million dollars guaranteed after starting for 21 games for a legitimate playoff team what is this this offseason going to look like for guys who are trying to get paid like is this going to be is our teams going to be as stingy as Oklahoma City got to be with Dort or is this a, a sort of a a one-off situation where the, the, the off season is going to be a little bit more normal. So that's, that's sort of running through my head in terms of like, if this is all, all that Dort could get this summer and you would think that his agents, you know, he's, he's with Wasserman. So it's not like he's with a small agent who doesn't have the connections around the league. You know, Wasserman has connections with every team. They they were able to look at the market for months now since Dort, you know, but since the hiatus, it was known that Dort was going to perhaps sign this deal. So they've had months to look around the league, really get an understanding of what this offseason's market is going to be, and then they sign this contract. Is that them looking at the market and going, oh my God, this guy couldn't, might not even get this much money on the market, so we might as well take the money now? And if that's true, what is this offseason going to look like? Is it's, I mean, are we going to see guys on the free agent market who – like literally can't find a team that is willing to pay them anything more than a few million dollars because everybody is super stingy or is this Dort thing just a misread by, by his agent and and it's going to be fine in the summer. So that's going to be, I think that's one of the more interesting things for me as a, as a cap nerd, but that, the, the, that deal shocked me so much that I'm really starting to question like how bad is this offseason really going to be? I think it's going to be bad. I think it's a precursor. Yeah, I mean, it certainly might be. Jeff, thank you so much, as always, for the time, sir. And uh, we will talk basketball again soon. Real games, All right, maybe, thanks for having me. We, talk. we might actually Hopefully. have games to talk about. Hopefully everything goes well with the restart and we've got real games in about a month. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We'll stay safe, my friend, and uh, we will talk soon. Sounds good. Talk to, you, talk to you later. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.